0: Welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is your host as always Rick Lee James and this is episode number 140. It has been a while since I was able to podcast and uh, I am so sorry about that. I just wish life would slow down a bit so I would be able to do some more podcasting because I really love it. Um, I'm still looking for a co-host for the podcast. If you know of anyone who would like to audition, they can contact me uh, through my website at rickleyjames.com or even send me a tweet at rickleyjames if you want to. Uh, I'd love to have some regular conversation even if it's just like once a month. And one reason I Enjoy the uh, having guests on the show is because we can have conversations like we are going to hear today. Today is a crossover podcast featuring Ben DeBono and Matt Anderson, who are the hosts of the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast. Good friends, they have one of the best podcasts on the internet. Honestly, they were one of the inspirations for me starting my own podcast back a couple years ago, and uh, it, we have a great time today on this crossover podcast uh, discussing uh, one of our favorite sci-fi movies that is really much more than a sci-fi story um, there's actually a lot of layers to it it's an original work called Dark City and uh, we're going to get right into it so I hope you enjoy today's episode and I also hope that I'll be able to get some more regular podcasts out very soon Um, thank you for listening to Voices in My Head Uh, go to rickleyjames.com for news and things that are going on I'm still booking tours right now had a great concert last weekend in Auburn, Indiana at the Cupbearer Cafe Uh, I'm still trying to book some more for the summer tour I did have a, a full week of camp lined up uh, in I think it was July and that fell through for various financial reasons for the camp i was going to be working with so uh if you guys uh, know of any bookings i need some bookings this summer and uh, need to fill up my calendar a little more especially with the new album hopefully releasing at the end of the summer so uh all right that's it for now thanks for listening to voices in my head and thanks also to matt and ben for being on the podcast this week so uh let's go on with the show thanks Oh, and by the way, just one other really quick thing. I wanted to let you know that you're getting almost like an episode and a half today um, because I came in in the middle of uh, the Sci-Fi Christian recording one of their podcasts and they're in their news segment of their show. And uh, I'm, I'm keeping that part in and the transition into our actual podcast um, so you can kind of hear some of their show too if you've never listened before. Um, minus me, I'm, I'm usually not on their show, but it was fun talking about some upcoming news that's going on um, in the Sci-Fi and uh, pop culture entertainment uh, world. So, um, yeah, enjoy that too. It's kind of a behind the scenes here. So, you get sort of a, a podcast and a half this week. So, anyway, thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. God bless.
2: Video. <laughs> Hello. Rick. Hey. Rick? I hope.
0: I hope this is working okay. I've I've been trying for about ten minutes and Skype keeps shutting down on me.
1: Oh, oh my, that's not going to make for a great episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's really not. Let's hope it doesn't keep doing that. I and I it's weird. I woke up in this bathtub and I didn't know how I got there.
1: It was uh, see that now a little reference to our next episode. Though. Yeah.
0: Rick, we're, we're actually
1: live in the middle of the news right now.
0: Fantastic! I'll just I'll just sit and listen. No, no,
1: that. you have to add in. But uh, the bathtub oh. reference—that is in regards to our next episode, episode 361, where we will be covering Dark City, the movie yeah. from 1998. Woo-hoo. Yeah, uh, and that's part of the crossover that we're doing with Voices in My Head. That's right. Uh, oh. All
2: right, Dude, so all right. do
1: you want some questions? You, you have questions, questions well, for Matt well, let me and just, Rick? Let me take this uh, Transformers news. So, Rick, we we're just saying that Robert Kirkman has been added to the list of creators that will be working on these Transformers sequels and spin-offs Thoughts? Hmm.
0: Wow. Well, I don't know how they could possibly do any worse. So, um, yeah, I like some of Kirkman's stuff. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really not, I'm not the biggest Transformers fan anymore. I used to be as a kid, but I, you know, so whatever they want to do, is we should silent.
1: say that. now, just in case people are worried, you know, they hear Robert attra- attached to Transformers and they're thinking Bob Orsi, not him. We're talking about Robert Kirkman, who is the creator of The Walking Dead. Well, how would they make the jump from, yeah. Ro- you know, Robert Orsi, Robert Kirkman, same first names?
0: <laughs> Everybody with Robert's the same person. Everybody. That's
1: right. Him. So yeah, yeah, The Walking Dead creator yeah. is going to be a part of this. Also, uh, Zach Penn, who was the screenwriter screenwriter for The Incredible Hulk. He was in uh, Harold and Kumar, right? Zach Penn. Or maybe that was Cal Penn. Oh, boy. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I th- Well, you know, tra-
0: I was just going to say Transformers is kind of a weird thing anyway because it literally had no other purpose than to sell toys from the very oh, beginning. Like the Star Wars so. movies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I, I think toys might have become an afterthought from Star Wars, but I know like Transformers, that was the sole reason for a cartoon was, hey, we're going to sell toys. So, uh-huh. if, you know, if they if they can figure out a way to sell toys, I guess they've met their their goal. I got, I,
2: it's a quick correction. Cal Pen okay. is the name of the fellow who played uh, Kumar in both the Herald and Kumar movies.
1: You know, I want to give you guys some good news. I think I finally reached my breaking point. Now, you may remember, oh, I've really? seen every one of the Transformers movies except for the first one with my friend slash former roommate, uh, Ra- Ryan Stralo. Yeah. I well, almost said Robert Stralo. No, well, not I, Robert. God. Ryan not Straylo, My computer, best friend. Robert Kirkland. <laughs> uh, but I think I've reached my breaking point. I think I'm done seeing the Transformers movies in the theater. You're ready to start making in the, the world a better place? Yep, that's right. Yeah.
0: At first, I thought you were going to say, I've seen all of them except the first one. And I thought, man, the first one's the only decent one they've had. <laughs> oh,
2: I've seen none of them. So I feel pretty proud of that.
1: Them. You're
0: really not missing anything.
2: Oh, right, I know.
1: How about this, Ben? You give us questions for Matt and Rick. Yeah. And then I will run through the rest of my news for it or against it. And then we'll dive into our next episode with Rick. I like it. All about Dark City, the movie from 1998. Yeah. All right. Here we go.
2: It's questions for Matt. I have four questions for you guys today. Question number one. It has been revealed due to set video that Batman, or at least the Batmobile, is going to be in Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. Does this show that the movie might be good after all due to the presence of Batman, or is it further evidence of DC overcrowding their movies?
1: Rick, I'll let you go first.
0: All right. Well, you know what? Uh, DC actually uh, made a pretty pretty good animated film about, um, I forget what it's called. It's like Batman Arkham Asylum or something, but most of the movie revolves around the Suicide Squad. It just came out a couple months ago. And I was surprised how much I actually enjoyed it. And Batman was a character in it, but he was sort of a secondary character to the Suicide Squad. And they don't sell you that on the on the DVD or anything that you watch. It's totally just like Batman, whatever, you know, because that's how they want to get you in. Um, but I, I thought it was actually, you know, especially for an animated film, pretty well done. So I, I don't know. Um, I would be more apt to be excited about it if someone like Batman that I really cared about was in it. But I'm still not sure I'm extremely excited about a Suicide Squad film. But uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to, to wait and at least let some reviews happen. Look, I didn't think Mad Max was going to be any good, and it's probably my favorite movie I've seen, uh, at least in the theater this year. Well, so so I don't know. Let's wait and see. That's a
1: strong recommendation. Here's what I'll say, and I, I think this is I, – I would almost say I'm positive about this, just based on what I've heard. I'm guessing – that the scene with the Batmobile will feature Ben Affleck, but only as the, uh, not the prequel, what's, you know how all the Lord of the Rings movies have that part before? What's uh, a, like
2: prologue. A prologue. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I know that word. Yes, uh, I think Suicide Squad is going to have a prologue in which Joker gets captured by Batman, so I think there will be a brief appearance, and or maybe a flashback, but I'm guessing it will be the prologue, and that will be all you'll see of Batman in the movie. Just a, a quick scene, and that's that. And suicide. So wait, what was the, the question, question?
2: Was does this improve does this improve the chances of Suicide Squad being good, oh. or is it further evidence of DC overcrowding in their movies? Uh, neither.
1: I don't. I don't think it's overcrowding. <laughs> it's not an option. I don't think it's overcrowding putting <laughs> Batman in, but I also don't think that it's evidence that this is going to be good. Fair enough. All right.
0: Yeah, and you know Suicide Squad's just DC's version of the Dirty Dozen. Anyway, I don't know if you've ever seen those movies uh, from I think the '60s, but it's it's the exact same concept. So we'll we'll see. It's it's already a copy from the time it starts. So I'm not super
1: encouraged. Next question,
2: number two. You know, there Francis Lawrence and the rest of the Hunger Games team are making a movie out of the Odyssey, which I have great trepidation about that. Um, they just announced it will be two movies. Will this improve or lessen the chances that I, Ben DiBono, am wholeheartedly enraged by the final result?
1: It will improve the chances of you being enraged. It will. You will definitely be. It enraged. will lessen the chances of you ever seeing it.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. I I think I I have to at least check it out. It, it's Homer. How do they make Homer movies? That's Not true. often. No. Well,
0: they did make that Simpsons movie.
2: <laughs> That's true. Ba-da. Uh, no, question number three. Now, I have not seen the movie, but based on critical reviews and box office figures, Tomorrowland has flopped.
1: Oh, really? I was hoping it wouldn't. I still haven't seen it. Yeah. I, I'm dying to see it. It's
2: like right around fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Bad oh, box man.
1: office. I'll probably see it tomorrow or Thursday. So,
2: in other words, even if you like it, critically speaking lindelhoff now has another dubious entry on his filmography whoa whoa whoa! Okay. can his legacy be saved and if so how
1: okay first of all when you say another dubious entry let's just go through what he's done okay prometheus awesome
2: yeah but most i'm, to, I'm not talking I'm not, about personal opinion i'm talking about uh general consensus The general consensus is that that movie was not good okay so not good on account of him
1: star trek into darkness which he was also part of you know, a lot of the the Star Trek fanboys don't love it, but overall, pretty good movie.
2: But see, again, you're confusing your personal opinion, which is fine, with general consensus. I'm talking about not his legacy for Matt Anderson, because I know that's set in stone. Yeah, he's great. Like, he's like on your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> he's golden. I'm talking about within pop culture. What will the general consensus of Lindelof be 50 years from
1: now? I think you're right. So you're over 2 there. I think you're right. When uh, when you talk about my favorite creators, it's like Stan Lee, David Lindelof. Yeah. And I don't know who would be after that. But see,
2: and so you might like Tomorrowland. You very well might like it, but, but my point isn't. Will Matt Anderson like it? What does he have to do to be rescued in Matt Anderson's mind? Yeah, nothing. Mine is, nothing, exactly. <laughs> Mine is within the general public, because then you go through those same two movies. Prometheus, people didn't like that movie, and they you, blamed
1: him. You liked it.
2: Yeah, I thought it was fine, but I'm t- I'm not talking about Ben DiVono here either. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, you liked it. I thought it was fine. A lot of people hated it. A lot of people blamed him. Especially after news came out that he was the one pushing some of the things people didn't like, and now Tomorrowland, you have the end of Lost that people blame him for. So, can his legacy be saved?
1: Well, man, yeah. I I'd say yes for sure. Just all he needs is this next big huge thing. Leftovers. Look, I mean, he's doing great on HBO. He's fine. Keep up the good work, Damon.
2: I love leftovers, but even there, that not a not necessarily a home run for everybody.
1: He's fine. You're fine, Damon. Don't listen he's to that. He's not
2: fine. What, what do you think, Rick?
0: I think he's gonna end up having like a troll two following that they'll start meeting in movie theaters like you know one night a year to celebrate Damon Lindelhoff and his genius. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the world's just gonna kind of
2: forget. Maybe he that. and M Night Shyamalan can collaborate on something.
0: Yeah, oh. M Night Shyamalan, you know, Daniel, I, whatever. Yeah. I just need to uh, interrupt yeah. here.
1: Now I I allow Ben <laughs> to do that. Because I know that I know that he's just messing with me. But now to hear that you, a listener, have learned to pronounce Damon's last name incorrectly, thanks to Ben. Yeah, he's to...
2: The <laughs> L- it's the, Loff. It's, it's
1: it's Linda Lof with an L. <laughs> and I I I'd never correct you, Ben, because I know you're just trying to mess with me. But you,
0: you
2: do shake your head at I, me and glare every time I say it. I,
0: I I think honestly, as long as it's making a lot of money, uh, and and I. I That's the main, that's the bottom line. I don't think people care that that actually put the movies out as long as it makes their money back and makes them then some or TV shows. That's the sad fact about it. I don't think they're as concerned about art as they are just the bottom line. So, um, you know, who knows if DVD sales and everything else, if they're able to recoup and and uh, I don't know if there's any merchandising for what is it? Never Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland, I guess, but I don't know. We'll see. If, and if Disney World enough...
2: is merchandising for tomorrow.
0: Well, because it's a ride, right? It's whole a whole section of the park. Okay, so and you're already kind of in trouble when you start with that, I think, because huh? I mean, we got Pirates of the Caribbean. I was surprised they had one good movie in that franchise, but that's all based on a ride. So I, I don't know. I think the. I think they're just kind of like writing him a big check every time because he's made him money in the past. So we'll we'll probably hear more from him, but um, I don't know if I don't know. We'll just see what kind of quality you know, stuff he'll turn out. I just have to say this:
1: you know, <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen Tomorrowland. So yeah. who knows? It might be bad. But George Clooney starring—he doesn't choose bad movies, right?
0: But he doesn't. <laughs> I've I, seen a few I'm, bad I'm, uh, George in this last
1: week. I'd say in the last recent history, except for I heard the American wasn't great. Yeah. The American boring. But yes. overall, George Clooney, Damon Lindelof, thumbs up. What what could go wrong? Well. Yeah.
0: I I do like uh, George Clooney. I feel like he's sort of our our modern day uh, Cary Grant in some ways. He sort of has that feel about him. But I don't know. We'll see if he can't save the movie. I'm guessing the movie's pretty bad.
2: One more question for you guys. Um, You know, we live in a day of uh, intense internet outrage over just about everything. And so Chris Pratt, being the marketing genius he is, seized on this this last week. And prior to sitting down for all the interviews and his press junket for Jurassic World, he put up a Facebook post jokingly pre-apologizing for whatever he does that offends people, uh, kind of playing off the humor of how you know people get stuck in this room with these long interviews, say something that's maybe dumb or taken the wrong way or whatever, and wind up having to public apologize. My question is, if I, Ben DiVono, was sent on a similar press junket, how many times would I have to publicly apologize before all was said and done?
1: I think it would be one apology covering numerous things <laughs> they just reduce it to one press conference. Yeah.
0: I think it might be all that's you true. do just uh you know just turn into one long one and i I'm still wondering with the parks and Rec connection, why they didn't call it Jurassic parks and Rec oh, because, you know it would it would have been
1: great with him in it mm, that way. that's true i I'm sure that would be a fan film at some point, yeah, all right well, that brings it to this <laughs> section of the show. All right, everybody, a few more pieces of news. Reese Witherspoon, popular actress, all set to play Tinkerbell in a, <laughs> a live-action, another live-action Disney movie. Oh, my gosh. This isn't
2: that pansy. No, role, this though.
1: is a movie about Tinkerbell. Wow.
2: She doesn't seem like she'd be my first choice for that movie, but... Who would be Isn't she, like, choice? 50
1: now? No, she, she's not 50. Well, she's old. Come on, she's just been an actress... For, and the uh, main public eye for a long time. She's born. She's almost forty. That's, that's nothing. So <laughs> Hey
0: now, hey now, watch it, watch
2: it. Uh, I was saying
1: I think. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to tell you. I don't even want to tell you what I think it's called. Hold on a second. Let me just check this. You talk talk amongst yourselves for a second.
2: I don't have any ideas for a cast. I, I would say cancel the movie.
0: I I think it's probably they're again they're probably throwing a whole lot of money at her because she's a big star. But you know, this, Disney's doing all those live action uh, princess movies, and okay. I don't know. I I, I won't. Be all right, sure I'm that. not.
1: This is not a hundred percent, but it's looking likely that the title of this movie is going to be Tink. Oh, who didn't see that coming? <laughs> <Or> Tinkerbell, <laughs> right.
0: Or it'll be like, you know, the middle initial R and last name Bell. Tink R. Bell. <laughs> terrible. You know, it's terrible. It's really yeah. like,
1: All right, yeah. so obviously it seems like this is against it. Uh, speaking of Damon Lindelof and things as he that he has written Ooh. in the past, uh, not a lot of people know this, but he actually helped with the rewrites for the recent movie World War Z. Right. I thought that mm. people seem to like that. That was, I yeah. like that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, see, people like it, Ben. Well, anyways, Paramount. Oh. But As, not a lot of people know that, see? That, did, that just proves my argument. The one thing he did people
2: like, people don't associate with
1: it. <laughs> has announced today that... Uh, actually, I don't know if it's today, but they have announced on my Word document that I put together today <laughs> that World War Z <laughs> sequel will be released in the summer of 2017. Okay. Uh, uh, I thought the movie was so-so, but...
2: Um, oh, another one.
1: Did what? you know
2: he wrote Cowboys and Aliens? That thing yeah, like crazy. Kirk didn't know he
1: was a part of that. All right, Twin Peaks news, everybody. Eight. Episodes. Oh, I love that. Twin it. Peaks yeah. season three got expanded to eighteen episodes. Ben, thoughts? Uh, I wish
2: I'd just say it's going to be two seasons. Let let David Lynch have two seasons. Oh, yeah, but then cool. again, I trust David Lynch. I mean, it's probably going to be really weird because he's really weird, but
1: it should be interesting. And Rick, you watch yeah. Twin Peaks? Did you watch it originally, or have you watched it recently? Yeah.
0: Uh, both actually. I'm rewatching it now. I've I've watched it several times through the years. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie they made. It was like a right. prequel yep. movie. Um, yeah, and that's a real. I mean, that was that's actually a very disturbing film. So I'm I'm hoping that the uh, the actual show they bring back will take a little more of the flavor of the old television show and not the, um, you know, rapey scary stuff <laughs> that was in, that, that was in, in the, the movie. film. Very briefly, yeah, it's 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 interesting because they don't really focus on the characters you want to see I, in the movie. It's all like kind of minor you know, characters, but but I I, S- I am a big fan of Lynch.
1: Though. Keeper Sutherland is also in the movie we're about to cover on the next episode, Dark City. Yeah, and about his most non Jack Bauer role of all time. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rick. <laughs> earlier today, you had mentioned Mad Max and how it had won you over. I'm yet to see it, and Ben has also not seen it yet. Uh, you know, since last week, Ben, you asked me the question: Am I more likely to see it now that it's gained such critical acclaim? I'd say I am more likely. It's more and more. I have I hear good things about it more every day, basically. So I'll probably rent it though. So I'm not gonna go to the theater and see it. But George Miller, who is the director of that movie, has announced that the sequel will be called Mad Max: The Wasteland. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, if, and you know what? Tom Hardy, it's really hard to go wrong with a Tom Hardy film these days. I mean, he he's uh, even though he wasn't a fan of this film making it, he's kind of changed his tune now, I think. But uh, yeah, for a movie with absolutely no plot, it's an incredible movie.
2: <laughs> All right. Did you know country singer Tim McGraw is actually in Tomorrowland? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's something for you to look for when you're watching the movie tomorrow. Here we go, everybody. The of the
1: day. Now, this is a rumor, so I just want to get that out of the way, but it's one of those rumors that seems like it has some truth behind it. Matthew McConaughey is said to be co- being courted by Marvel to play a villain in one of their movies.
0: All right, all right, all right. I'm against it. Why?
1: All right, let's
2: keep the McConaughey's going with good, high-quality stuff. Marvel botches their yeah. villains regularly. Well, maybe
1: that's the maybe that's what's happening here. They've heard people complain that they don't have good villains, so now they're going to have a stronger emphasis on getting great actors to play their villains. Maybe, but they got to have great writing behind yeah, it too.
0: Yeah, it's got to be like a, a Wilson Fisk quality character, I think, because you know he already went through his slew of terrible films, yeah. and I, I I haven't. I'm hoping that. Um, that he's continues to make the good ones so so.
1: rick you and i are probably bigger comic fans than ben here but ben i'll let you answer as well uh who do you think which villain do you think matthew mcconaughey would be good to play the name
2: i heard was uh green
1: goblin yeah norman osborne yeah okay so that's one answer rick you want to try to guess one
0: Oh boy, I it would have to be somebody high profile like that I would think or else I don't think they would get him to play it probably. So, yeah, I could who knows, it could be any one of those Spider-Man villains. I I think Spider-Man probably has the the most interesting list of villains that you could choose from. So, I don't think they'll probably do Doc Ock again. Uh, um but who who knows, anything's possible. I I I'm not sure not sure I want to see him as, as Osborne.
2: Well, let's yeah. just remember the last time Marvel cast a great actor as one of their villains, Ben Kingsley. You know, oh. I don't know how that turned. <laughs> oh,
0: that was awful. Okay. That makes me sad. Uh,
1: I, I'm over here racking my brain trying to figure out. This happened to me last time, too, because I, I asked the question. Of, man Who could be Stillman? No, Norman Osborn is the the early rumor, but I'm just trying to think of somebody else that could be. Maybe since Doctor...
0: I think he'd play. I think he play Modoc.
1: You know, Doctor Strange is gonna be a high-profile uh, movie coming up here in the next couple of years. Maybe he'll play the villain, Doctor Strange. Like the person has a name. I just can't remember. Rick, do you know Doctor Strange?
2: Deep ro- Rogues Gallery. There's like what? <laughs> one guy.
0: Um, I, I feel. I can't. I can't think as all of his mystical Man, I... villains and stuff. I've not read a ton of Doctor
1: Strange. I could be so. wrong, but I think the guy's name is Mordo. So I'm gonna say Matthew McConaughey oh. will be Mordo in Doctor Strange. There it is.
2: If if they uh, if he is Mordo, then I hope that when he signs the contract, he says, "This isn't gonna happen unless you offer me more dough." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, everybody, thanks for joining us here on this news episode. As you know, next episode, we're covering the movie from 1998, known as Dark City. Rick will be there with us. Ben will be there. I'll be there. Well, that's all from here. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Ben DiBono. Rick, you can say it, too. And I'm Rick Lee. And we are the Sci-Fi Christians, signing off.
2: I read an article today that described Tomorrowland as, quote, more vacuous than Jupiter ascending. Ooh. Which is pretty funny on a number of levels, especially considering it's taken Jupiter Ascending to become three months to become the gold standard of terrible <laughs> yeah, sci-fi <that's> movies.
1: <laughs> All right, Rick, what do you got for a good title for the Dark City movie review? Or do we just call it Dark City movie review?
0: I'd say we call it the Dark City now, movie Now, do you want
1: review. to do something where we kind of do an intro for your show and an intro for our show?
0: Sure, we can. Let's do yours um, first. what Okay, um, so what, what well, are you going to do you do? I don't know. Do
1: you have like, how does it work usually? You just, I guess, you just kind of bring it, bring in there.
0: Yeah, usually what I and I I can do sort of a preface on on my end through my recording too, if need be. But uh, I just want to mark that we're about twenty minutes in from the last one because I'm going to have them both on the same recording. Okay, let's do
1: this. I have an idea. Um, we'll we'll play our music, and then we'll make a strategic, pause. conscious conscious filled pause. As we get into the movie. How about that? That's right, great. Go. Ben, you want to say 361 Dark City movie review?
2: Yeah. Can we do a. Uh, as, let's think for a second. Is there any better title? I suppose we do usually do movie review, but it's, you know, 20 year old movie.
0: <laughs>
2: In the Dark with Dark yeah. City. No, we can just do a movie here.
0: I get it confused sometimes because there was a Batman storyline just before that movie came out called Dark Knight, Dark City or something like that. So, Well, the,
2: you can keep them straight because this is the one without Batman.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, I can get that then. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? I'm sorry, I just got distracted it.
2: by reading that Damon lind one of his favorite movie. Damon Lindahl's favorite movies is Bambi. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, okay episode 361 dark city movie review
1: dark welcome dark to the sci-fi city. christian bring new theology at warp speed i'm ben anderson and i am eddie bono i
0: am rick lee i am rick lee what? james hey, rick.
1: how'd you get on here
0: uh, I just—it's an accident. I don't know how it happened. I woke up in this bathtub, and all of a sudden there was a Skype. You've been, on, you've been on the air for
2: 20 minutes, Rick, <laughs> and you're already recycling jokes.
0: Same joke. I don't—I don't know what else to do. I, I'll just. Two episodes. Oh. <laughs> if you look, what What else happens in that film at the opening? I don't. That's true. You
1: know, so. All right. Well, uh, this is where we'll do our strategic pause so that we can bring this in for Rick's episode as well. So here we go. All right, and we're here today to talk about Dark City, everybody. Yeah.
0: By the way, I can't help but that I take lots of naps in bathtubs. I just I understand. Like, you know, that's that's how it works. So.
2: Comfortable, comfy place to nap.
0: That's right, it is.
1: So, the three of us have come together tonight to do a crossover. You're going to be able to hear this episode on both Voices in My Head and The Sci-Fi Christian. So, we'll plug our various websites at the end of this episode. But Ben, tell us about this movie. What why are we watching it? Why are we discussing it on these shows? Well, I've loved this
2: movie for a long, long time. I think I uh, saw it first in 2002, and I've seen it numerous times since. I think that it is an absolute masterpiece of uh, sci-fi. Um, you know, For people who complain that there's not a lot of original and or good ideas out there anymore, go watch Dark City. It is phenomenal. And it's a movie where, if you haven't seen it, because I imagine we're going to get into many spoilers, I would recommend you stop listening to this episode. Uh, Not quite yet, so that's first recommendation. Stop listening to this episode and go watch it. But when you go watch it, watch, if you can get it, the director's cut. And the reason is is that not only is it a superior version of the movie, but the theatrical cut opens with a studio-mandated voiceover that spoils several plot points. That are later revealed in the movie.
1: Yeah. I, I watched some special features and I heard that the studio was worried after some test viewings that people didn't know it was happening, but the director said I wanted that to happen. I wanted right. viewers to feel confused for the first half. So yeah, I did go- I watched the director's cut originally and then went back and watched the opening voiceover just to see how bad it was, and I couldn't believe how much they gave away. Tons. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be honest though, one thing I was surprised by I usually check you know, I, I know that Especially between me and Ben, I'm not sure where you land on this, Rick. But I tend to be the more conservative of the two of us, Ben. And I was thrown off because I uh, looked at why it was rated R. Didn't say anything about nudity, but there was like a random nudity scene. It kind of early in the movie threw me off. What are you gonna do? I'm kind of against that. So that I think that it's you...
0: yeah, it was it was very brief, and I completely forgot about it. Like the first time I saw the movie, I don't remember logging that in or anything. Yeah. So and I was real surprised this time. Yeah. Now. So
1: I think. Yeah, I that because I don't like that in movies, it kind of turned me off right away and, and it was it's like
2: 5 seconds. Wait, saying, you're going to hold the whole 5 seconds saying, against the whole
1: movie? And the the important part of the story is it happens in the first 20 minutes, okay? Right? And yeah. so because of that, I just kind of like set the tone for like uh, I was like, "Oh man," What am I getting myself into? Because I didn't know what to. I, I didn't know what else was going to come up in the movie. Well, you could have called me. You should have called you and said, "Is there anymore?" Like, yeah. yes,
2: I have. I have them all the timestamps here in my log. <laughs>
1: so, no, I mean, I'm not saying that's. I'm not saying that makes the movie bad. I'm just saying, just so view, if uh, people are out there and are hearing our pre-spoiler talk, they at least know what they're getting themselves into. Okay, Rick, how about you?
0: Um, how about me? Sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Matt just kidding. watched
2: the movie for the first time. <laughs> He got oh, attacked okay. by the nudity. Yeah. I'd never <laughs> seen it before. I've heard. Of it. You've seen nudity I, before. Oh, you know,
0: it, was, <laughs> it was okay.
2: Uh,
0: I'll I'll be honest. It was so brief, and I I didn't. It was almost like, did I just see what I thought I saw? <laughs> type yeah. thing. But um, yeah, I'm I'm. You know, it's not necessarily for the whole fan. Here's
1: what I was gonna say. So yeah. I don't think I heard about this movie until we started podcasting. Yeah. before, Like around 2011, 2012, you told me about it. Uh, it's been on my list of things to check out because you talk so highly about it. I thought it was interesting. Good. I don't think I love it the way you love it, but we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Ricky, what are your initial thoughts? Non-spoiler.
0: Um, initial thoughts, non-spoiler is, you know, this movie is, I think it's been copied a lot. And I, I think a lot of people, because it's around the same time and this movie wasn't really like a huge hit or anything, um, I think a lot of people give a lot of credit to The Matrix for being like this real groundbreaking thing. But I think it was like six months before this movie came out. And and this is really a, um, as Ben said, it really is an original take. It's very hard to find like an original thought, you know, as far as when you come into sci-fi. Um, and yet this was like something I had never seen before. And I I I think I must have seen the director's cut the first time, and I I think I saw the voiceover one this time because I saw it online or something. Um, But there was I remember being like genuinely surprised at points and being like, "Whoa, this movie is not at all what I thought it was," even after watching it for an hour, you know. (laughs) And uh, and I and I love that I love how it kind of pulls the rug out from underneath you. And I, and I just think it's it's brilliant in some of the thoughts that it puts forth, too, because it, it gives us some good things to think about. And um, I, I don't know, I just think it, life in general. And it also makes me wonder, like, what was kind of going on in the world around that time, you know, because there were so many similar movies kind of in this vein. Like, it's, it is very similar to something like The Matrix in some respects, but it seems like there was all these films or tv shows i mean x files was around this time and you've got all these different things there's something in in the air at that time about some sort of like you know behind the scenes conspiracy going on and things being dark and not what they seem so that, i mean even that i think would be interesting to discuss
2: yeah actually there this movie came out uh, a year before the matrix and not only that but the matrix reused some of the sets from dark
1: city oh, that's right yeah, yeah. okay Oh, I could totally see that. Yeah, and a lot of the lighting is real similar. Right. Okay, let's go. with the wait, wait, wait. Let's uh, just have co- kind of, well, a just... couple more okay. things
2: just to follow up with what Rick is saying. Um, and actually, you talked about similar movies that came out around this time. Well, one that didn't come out around this time but was written around this time. Do you know what it is? Oh, Christopher Nolan's Inception. He oh. was inspired by oh. this movie, by The Matrix, to write something like Inception about the unreality of the world. Now, this movie. Um, one more just non-spoilery production thing. Uh, part of the reason why it wasn't nearly as big of a hit as um, you know, The Matrix or some of those others is that it came out in early 1998. Uh, and if you remember, there's another uh, very small independent movie out at that same time called Titanic uh, that everybody was seeing 15,000 times. So this movie got completely steamrolled mm-hmm. by Titanic doing what Titanic did. And was completely lost in the shuffle and later became a cult classic thanks to people like me. That's true. It is
1: because of people like you. Because yeah. now we'll have listeners who have never heard of this movie or definitely had not seen it. They'll hear our episode and it has the Ben De Bono approval. All right. I'll the see stamp it.
2: stamp of approval. Yeah. It's
1: one of my favorite sci-fi movies. All right. Spoilers. Here we go. All right, everybody. All right. We're here with spoilers now. Yeah. Um, yeah this was crazy. I it had a strong twilight zone feel right uh, i was shocked yeah. that the opening narration or the voiceover gave away everything that was happening it told the entire movie yeah in the first 20 seconds of that theatrical version what a mess yeah totally uh, especially w- regarding the strangers and who they are cuz what it tells in the voiceover it it's never actually explicitly said in the move in the director's cut so you just kind of put the pieces together yourself. So to be handed it like that, uh, that feels like a cheat to me. Not a cheat, just like the viewer gets cheated.
0: I I wonder if we could start, if you don't mind me uh, breaking in here for just a second, can we start with sort of a, a quick plot synopsis or just kind of how the movie's beginning? I, I, I just have something off of Dark City's page online that might be helpful to people that maybe haven't seen the movie.
2: Okay, but then after Rick reads the synopsis, if you haven't seen the movie... You turn this off.
0: That's right. You don't have (laughs) the Bendy Bono
2: seal of approval. Yeah, Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. So We do encourage you to watch it, but just in case you haven't. And this might give us actually kind of a jumping off place to really begin the conversation in earnest, I guess. Uh, But the summary on on Dark City's page, I guess it's on moviephone.com. It says, John Murdoch, played by Rufus Sewell awakens alone in a strange hotel to find that he is wanted for a series of brutal murders the problem is that he can't remember whether or not he committed the murders for one brief moment he is convinced that he has gone completely mad Murdoch seeks to unravel the twisted riddle of his identity. As he edges closer to solving the mystery, he stumbles upon a fiendish underworld controlled by a group of ominous beings collectively known as the Strangers. So that's a that's a pretty good, like, it's really not a spoilery uh, summary at all. So go watch it if you haven't watched it yet. But that's a, a good way to kind of maybe lead into our conversation just so people know what we're talking I kinda
1: about. I kind of think even just mentioning... I mean, I know that we've already done it, so what's done is done, but even just mentioning the strangers right is a spoiler to me because at first you of course, you know, they look different in the sense that they're bald and pale and I don't know if they have eyebrows.
2: But I don't think so.
1: Uh but they could still technically be human. They we don't really know what they are at first. Yeah. You know what they look like if you're out there wondering and you can't picture it, they are. Uh, they look like the the observers from Fringe. The exact design. Yeah. Hats. No, I don't think the Fringe guy had a long coat though, but yeah,
2: and uh, I I think part of the reason why avoiding spoilers is so important for this movie is that this movie really is a masterpiece of the slow reveal. It's a masterpiece of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what what's interesting to me in that summary Redrick is that it sounds like the most horribly clichéd movie you've ever seen oh guy wakes up in the bathtub and you know there's a dead body on the floor and he's wanted for murder and he doesn't remember everything you know it it just sounds like it's going to be an awful awful cliched movie where you know everything you you can basically say what the whole plot's going to be from the sound of that synopsis and then you actually watch the movie and it's not that at all uh structurally the movie is 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 structured as a labyrinth where it makes you feel like you're going in one direction, t- takes you in another. Um, and Alex Proyas, the director, does this – he pulls this off in, in so many different ways, not only with the direction of the plot, but just with the way that he'll repeat shots, but from a slightly different angle. Um, like you have you know, the two shots of Jennifer Connelly's character singing in the nightclub. Mm-hmm. That occur at different points in the movie and, and lets you know that you're coming back around again in the labyrinth to a similar point, but from a different direction. You have the various advertisements for Shell Beach, eventually leading up to where William Hurt and Rufus Sewell's ca- characters break through the wall. You have things like the water baths that Keith or Sutherland is hanging out. And so you have like these reoccurring locations and shots um, that visually take you through the plot of the movie as well that mirror it perfectly it's such a brilliantly directed and edited film
0: and and there's one too that i i didn't notice really the first time and watching it this time i took more note of it uh do you remember the rat maze towards the beginning of yes. the film uh and and it's kind of like oh my gosh like it, it struck me this time like that's this uh uh, this foreshadowing to everything's a maze, you know, like the the whole thing. that <laughs> thought this movie is an allegory for lab testing on rats, but you know, right. but <laughs> and it kind of is. I mean, the the way the film is is uh, is made, but yeah, just it's it is brilliant. It all revolves around that labyrinth, of that that really winding maze. You're never sure where it's exactly going.
2: So, Matt, what did you think was going on during this movie before you get to the big reveal where they break through the wall and then? Oh, they're out and they're on a spaceship in space. Did you think they were on Earth? What What did you think was going on?
1: I thought that they had been abducted and were on a different planet. I didn't think they were on a ship out in space. Uh, I think I had most of it pretty much figured out. It really—I don't know if it. Well, I think this these movies came out around the same time, so I don't think this is possible. But it gave me a strong Truman Show feel. Oh. Did you see Truman Show? Oh, Truman yeah, yeah, and so, um. This is slightly darker than the Truman Show. Slightly darker. So, (laughs) spoilers for Truman Show. I also recommend that one, but, uh, well, slight spoilers. You get to a point where he reaches a wall of sorts. Yeah, You know what I'm talking about? Can you picture that scene? And I could almost see it coming as they were ripping through the billboard and then pounding through the wall. I knew it was either going to – I thought the two options are it's going to be another – like something they can't get through, or it's going to be water. I thought they were going to, like I said, I didn't know they were in space. I thought they were going yeah. to be on a planet. Um, so, yeah, I felt like parts of this movie reminded me of Truman Show quite a bit. But, yeah, I thought I had the alien thing pretty much figured out. I thought, Well, I mean they were pretty explicit about the aliens are using host bodies from dead people. Yes. Um, well, you see early on in the movie when the one guy's head gets
2: cut open, you see the alien crawling out of his body.
1: Yeah, but there are two different one. Yeah, that alien looked, you know, more physical, and then there was almost like a spiritual type alien that came out of the yeah book, right, Mister Book mm-hmm. or Mister Hand. I don't know which one's which, but
2: Mister Book is the the lead the, the lead. Mid,
1: the lead guy. Okay, so that that one was almost like a the spirit of the alien comes out right, and the first one it's like it crawls away. So what's the deal with that? Well, I think it's just
2: Mister Book is higher up in the hierarchy, so he Good. is a bigger dude. One of the things I, I think works really well in this movie and especially lends to it being watched uh, almost twenty years later, is the fact that the special effects aren't top grade and this is something Roger Ebert mentions in his commentary of the movie, which is worth listening to in the d v d that the fact that the special effects aren't you know for at that time, like what The Matrix was where it's oh they're so groundbreaking they're amazing it actually really lends itself to the style of storytelling that they're doing it gives it everything in the the movie feels artificial by design. Uh, And the fact that the special effects feel artificial too helps tell the movie and set the style that they're trying to set in this movie. Um, And and so to me, I watched it today uh, for the first time in several years. I was paying attention to that. It's like, yeah, the special effects look dated, but that's okay. It Mm -hmm. works in the context of the story.
1: Yeah, and it does in some parts feel like a period piece, strong on the 40s. But as I was Mm -hmm. watching the special features, uh, they made a point to hit things from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah. do you have any theories on why the aliens would have chosen those decades?
0: I just think they're... Um, because they're constantly changing the place, you know, and I, I think they're... I think it's part of, like, keeping the humans' equilibrium off a little bit, too, because it, it things feel familiar to them all throughout the movie, but nothing is exactly something that they're they're like at home with like i i don't know if you remember the the part where um there's an accordion in the back seat of william Hurt's car and he says his mother gave him that but he can't remember when his mother gave him that you know and 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 again it's it's sort of like he doesn't he knows he that it was a gift he knows it was from his mom but he can't remember the time and i i think that's part of like um nobody can really get their footing as to where they are, and uh, and I I think that's kind of a a brilliant part of how they designed the film as well, because really, the viewer, I think, is trying to figure that out just as much as the characters are, because you really could. I mean, the look of the cars, um, the look of their clothing at certain points, but then... The technology that they have, you know, it doesn't seem like something they would have in the 40s. <laughs> yeah. sure. So it's it's sort of like all – you just don't know exactly where to put your footing down at in the film. And I think all the characters are suffering from that because they don't know exactly where they are or who to be in the in the time that they have. So I guess that's my theory about the different time periods. But...
2: Yeah, I, I think that that's – there's a lot to that. I, I, I think my theory with that in the movie has always kind of been that those were the periods that – these characters were extracted from mm-hmm. uh, i don't think we have to assume they were all abducted in one go or whatever yeah you know, maybe they've been adding to their little zoo for decades
1: my theory was that the aliens had been observing humans on earth for those four decades and then started their experiment yeah that could be yeah uh Schreiber, is that his name yeah best character oh he's so good this is one of the best roles I've seen Keeper Sutherland in, and it's so different from what he usually plays. And he'd never be in that post-Jack Bauer. No. You'd never get him to do that. No, it was great. And uh, you probably know this, Ben, but Rick, I don't know if you watched any of the special features, but uh, his, na- his character was named after Daniel Paul Schreiber, a German judge who suffered or suffered uh, from narcissis- narcissism, paranoid psychosis, and possible schizophrenia. And whose autobiography, Memoirs of My Nervous Illness, uh, was used as inspiration for the film. So, especially the schizophrenia when it comes to switching people's minds around, or memories around, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, and the way... I mean, even the, the way he would talk... He would always talking sort of a voice like that yeah you know? oh. <laughs> like every line was kind of delivered like, yeah. Jupiter like he was su- <laughs> suffering for breath not not oh, quite not Jupiter bad. ascending no you know no. One time he doesn't
2: talk sense... like that though
1: in the flashbacks in the
2: flashbacks which yeah. is interesting it's that he put a vanity for himself yeah. or something there
0: yeah that's very true when he's when he's giving the instructions and telling him what's going on yeah but it's almost like he's fighting asthma or something you know, when he's talking because he can't ever seem to get I his love breath and, yeah. and his lines. Rick, I,
1: yeah. I forgot to ask you. When did you first watch this movie? Uh,
0: I want to say it's probably been uh, – man, it's probably like 15 years ago. It was, it was not long after it had come out on, on, uh,
1: on video, but I you,
0: think. You
1: just time. recently rewatched it, didn't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I watched it probably 2 or 3 weeks ago when I knew we were going to be covering okay. this. And uh, and I've read a little bit more about it too. Uh so it's it's been yeah, it's been a joy to revisit that actually and I, I had forgotten how much I really enjoyed this film, so it was it was great to revisit it. So Ben,
1: I know that the director's cut has 11 additional minutes because I didn't watch the full theatrical cut. Can you tell me what things were cut from that version?
2: No, because oh. it's been a long time. Um I I think there's just like a few additional deleted scenes here and there. There's nothing really major. The reason I'm so for the director's cut is really just because of the voiceover. Uh, I remember I've watched the director's cut a couple times. I I like the additions and everything, uh, but I'm more familiar with the theatrical cut because I've watched that far more. Okay. Uh, But yeah, it's it's mainly just the the one absolute – Huge change is the removal of, of that voiceover, and that needed to happen.
1: So, back to the plot, I'm curious on you guys' thoughts on this. Why was Schreber needed by the Strangers? I think they mentioned the movie, but I didn't feel it was like it was strongly stressed. They needed him to create the memories. So, how come they didn't have the... Okay, well, here's my question. If they had this whole idea for this experiment, how could their whole plan rely on this one human having the ability to do it?
2: Well, the idea is that they needed the memories to feel authentic enough to be so that they could observe true humanity. Uh, that's what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And since they don't understand humanity, they can't create real human memories themselves. So they
1: needed him to do it for them. So what happens if he would have died? Their experiment would just be over?
2: Uh, they'd probably put everyone to sleep till they got another one. Maybe there have been multiple streamers. Oh. Yeah. Mm.
0: Maybe Schrieber isn't even Shreeber. It's true.
2: That's part of the. That's one of the fun things about this movie is that identity. You even at the end of the movie, you don't know who anybody actually is in no. this movie.
1: Like yeah. the I mean, main character says, "My name is John" when he introduces himself to his old wife. Yeah, who's now Anna, who was never actually his wife. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it got me thinking: Why is he going by that name? He could be anybody at this point. He doesn't know who he is. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think, too, I mean, there's a lot to... Uh, I, I don't know what direction you guys want to take in our conversation, but I I was thinking about, too, just like thematically and some of the things that... Uh, I think movies like this are best when they actually touch on things that we really experience in real life and, and uh, struggles that we have and uh, maybe even matters of conscience and things like that. Otherwise... You know, otherwise sci-fi is just big dumb action with special right. effects. And uh, and I think this, uh, when it's done well, one reason that I, that I personally am such a big fan of, like, Twilight Zone, and you mentioned that this is very Twilight Zone, um, not all of them, but, but there are a lot of episodes of the old show, The Twilight Zone, that are are only using sci-fi because they couldn't get away with on the network talking about some very real issues of the day and that things were going through and it became a safe way while people thought they were just watching entertainment in actuality the the writer Rod Serling or whoever it was at the time they were actually um, addressing some very real things um, through through the medium of sci-fi just to get at the heart of of some some struggles that uh, that we were going through as a nation at that time or just as humanity itself. And one thing that I think about, like with uh, especially um, William Hurt and Jennifer Conley, and and they're trying to find Murdoch, you know, they they don't know where he is. And uh, she presumably has been married to him and has cheated on him. Um, but something doesn't feel right about that, and, and William Hurt is playing this detective. I forget his name in the movie right now. I just always think of William Hurt when uh, I see him. Inspector
2: but, Bumstead. They even give all the characters these great right. 40s and 50s names, right?
0: Right, right. And uh, so so Bumstead, you know, he can't remember the accordion, but what what do you guys think of, and you tell me if you can relate to this. They They're sort of in this malaise throughout the whole movie. Um, that something just doesn't feel right, you know, and it's like, they're going about their business, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And I, I go to work and I do this because it's my job, but in their, in the back of their mind, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I think Murdoch is, you know, the first to really flesh that out, you, you know, like think about the things you're doing, why you're doing them. Um, but can you guys relate to that? I, I, I certainly know I can. You know, it's sort of these awakening moments of like, why am I doing this? Or, or something doesn't, something just doesn't, uh, maybe we could say something's just not tasting right, you know, in life right now or something about what I'm doing. But what, what do you guys think about that? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, I think that. Ugh. There's a whole, you know, part of. I think the main reason I love the movie is, is that it's a structural masterpiece and it's great sci-fi. But you know, in addition to that, there's this whole interesting philosophical discussion going on in the movie about what 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 does it mean to be a self? What is who are we actually, and how does that relate to our actions? You know, are we the sum of our memories? Well, the movie seems to say no, we're not. Uh, there's something more than our memories, but yet. The self is never really findable for any of these characters. and um, you know, and, and so there's this paradox that I think they're all in between who they believe they are and who they actually are, um, the former being immediately accessible to them, the latter being completely inaccessible to them, and that creating a conflict within the self when it comes to how to, to uh, uh, do, do anything meaningful in life. Uh, I think along those lines, uh, there's a fascinating debate you could have about whether or not the end of this movie is a happy ending. Yeah, they get rid of the strangers. They're no longer prisoners to the experiment, but they're, you know, none of them still know who they are, and they're on this spaceship. Going, going who knows where. <laughs> John has the ability to control the city, but not necessarily to pilot the ship anywhere. And, you know, is he going to let other people in on what's going on eventually? So there, there's... Oh, it, it's in some ways a happy ending, but in some ways a very disturbing ending. And I think that philosophically, if the movie has a conclusion it draws on, is that where John finds peace in the end isn't by discovering him, who he truly is and his true self, but in Choosing to live out his identity in the most authentic way that he can, given the circumstances, and so uh, there's a you know fascinating philosophical undertones about uh, identity and and selfhood and memory going on in this movie.
1: Now, I don't want to. I don't necessarily disagree with what you said about the memories defining who a person is in general, but I feel like in some ways the movie did say the memories made the man. Yeah, I mean,
2: but then why doesn't example, john kill uh the hooker when he goes into her?
1: exactly that's, yeah. that's the same example i'm thinking of because that particular version of him wasn't a murderer and so the other version was a murderer the person right. he was before i mean we don't even know who he ever really was so he was a murderer when he had those memories and he wasn't a murderer when he didn't have those memories
2: but yet he says to the stranger mr hand at the end He says, you went looking in the wrong place for our humanity. You were looking in our memories.
1: Well, yeah, he points to his head. Exactly. So you were in our brains. You should have been looking in our hearts, our souls, or whatever. Right. But but maybe he's being naive. That's
2: an interesting observation.
1: If you just look at what we see, it seems like the memories do make the person.
0: True. And And I don't know if I'm putting too much into this, but the more I think about it, you know ever since i caught on the you know the beginning of the film where we see the rat in the maze um i think that's a theme of the film too like are is that all we are are we only just rats in the maze you know we've we've been told we have to go this way because day after day we trudge through it and is that all that life is just meaningless tasks that we do without questioning without asking and and of course i think the the conclusion that, that the film makes is yeah we're so we are a lot more than that, and I think even Christianity, since we are on the sci-fi Christian, and, and my show is a Christian show, um, I think we are more than just the sum of those things. That there is more to that, and I I love, um, uh, in some respect, you know, I think what what is it that that Christ does if not open our eyes to the the ultimate reality of the kingdom of God, and uh, in, in this film, you know, it's in a sense the the prophet is opening people's eyes. Um, to the systems that they are trapped in you know and and it's it's something about um, allowing them to see the truth that's there um, that that is setting the captives ultimately free and it, and again it may not be a freedom they want as as Ben said you know it's debatable whether or not it's a happy ending or not uh, because sometimes it's easier to be in the illusions that we have but gosh I, I feel like it's just a powerful um a powerful tale about that even just the idea of of what it means uh to be set free from what we thought all along but it was actually just a fallacy
2: i think part of the, one of the things that's so fascinating to uh, in the movie from that perspective is that we can infer that the strangers needed to offer, you know, enough of a carrot out there on a stick in this reality to make things believable. I mean, they have all these sh- posters for Shell Beach, and they you know, they have the express train for Shell Beach zooming by in the subway, though there's no way to actually get on it. But they create a world that's impossible to get out of, but suggests that that escape exists, even though it actually doesn't. And for everybody in the movie, they're in too much of this kind of fugue state to... Um, do anything in pursuit of getting out of uh, the trap of the city or to even try. Uh, uh, but yet, if the false hope wasn't there, you can kind of infer in the movie that that, that wouldn't work, that the strangers had to put that false hope there uh, to keep things psychologically on balance for all of these people. So it, it, it's a, that's an interesting aspect, too, is that it's, you know, uh, so long as all these people kind of stay trapped within the cycle of the city, um, they're satisfied with a false hope. And it's only when uh, John or the other guy wake up and they start, you know, asking the questions and uh, they're no longer part of that cycle that they start to dig into the false hope and realize that it doesn't actually exist.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. And what do you make of um, – I don't think they really flesh this out very much in the movie either, and um, there may be some symbolism there. they may not be, but the one place where Kiefer Sutherland's character um, can be free from them is the room with water. Um, right, or at least they, and, they and don't I like it in, in there. They don't like it in there. They don't like it in – and, of course, you know – Christianity has all kinds of imagery with water, and you know, it being where where life begins, or or the the new life begins, or something like that, and living water, or whatever. I I don't know what we're supposed to make of it, um, exactly in the film. But did did you guys pick up on anything there that I didn't? Because I was trying to wonder if like maybe that would be a theme that uh, that was stronger in the film, or it was supposed to be stronger of why they didn't like water.
1: Mm. I, don't, I
2: mean, it'd be an interesting one to play with, because, of course, at the end, part of the victory over the strangers is the filling of the force field with this ocean um, yeah. that exists there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what to make of it, but certainly the symbols there to make something out of.
1: It is interesting that water is the route they use to find out the truth. Right. And it's also the thing that the strangers are afraid of. There's no connection there between their actual powers, but it's just interesting. Yes.
2: Yeah. Gonna If water gets a little bit short in the city after John does what he does, people are going to be a little ticked off that he used <laughs> up all these water supplies to make this giant ocean.
1: Who would you guys say, uh, as you look through the movie, I mentioned I like Dr. Schraber as my favorite character. Who is your favorite character, Rick? Um, yeah, well,
0: it's kind of hard. Um, I like Schraber... Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, I think it was Rufus Sewell who played the main character. Um, I, I thought he was okay. Murdoch was, was okay as a character, but I, 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 I think in a lot of ways I was drawn to William Hurt's character sort of as, um, the, the detective. He's doing his job and then just the way that he's getting these, um, gradual revelations, you know, and he's sort of the righteous character and then discovers that you know he's he's sort of righteous for the wrong reasons because you never really see him as a as a bad guy in in the film um and and you see him i just think he kind of has maybe the most interesting arc because part partly because of like that accordion conversation and and the way he talks about his mom and and he, he knows he gave it that that the the mother gave him this accordion but he can't remember and um and he's fully there he's going to arrest this guy he's going to bring him to justice and yet at the same time he's got to wrestle with the idea of he's starting to discover this is wrong so suddenly he has to turn against sort of his livelihood and um and those are actually big things if you think in the real world if if you're a policeman and, and suddenly you decide um, the the person you're supposed to be pursuing is actually innocent and no one else is going to believe that. Uh, and then your whole world gets... And, and of course, you know, he doesn't meet a very good end himself, unfortunately, in that film. Um, but I, I did like him as a character and I, I think Bumstead, even though I couldn't remember his name a few minutes ago, I think Bumstead is probably my favorite one, at least at least the one I remembered years later coming back to because really it had been a long time since I saw the film. I knew I liked it. And I was trying to think of all the characters in it, and he was the only one I could consistently remember about the film. So I, I guess maybe that speaks to, to that. But.
2: Yeah, I, I have a lot of characters in this movie I like, um, but it's difficult to pick a favorite, just in the sense that it really isn't an actors' movie. It's, it's a very much a director's movie. In the and what I mean by that isn't that the performance are uh, performances are bad. On, on the contrary, I think all the performances are very, very good across the board but it's that every performance fits exactly into the structure of this movie. Uh, This movie is such a labyrinth. It is such a structural masterpiece um, that the performances have to fit that structure exactly in order to work. Uh, And so, to me, the delight in the characters and the performance isn't so much in any of the characters in and of themselves, because as we've already talked about – you know we we don't actually know who any of these people are, and even like yeah, William Hurt's character has a an interesting character arc if it's real, uh, but there's no way of knowing right. if it is or or it isn't. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean I, I love William Hurt's character. I, I think that uh, Keith Sutherland is certainly uh, very intriguing uh, in this movie. I I love um, the guy who plays Mr. Book and Mr. Hand. Uh, the little creepy uh, kid stranger is <laughs> yeah. it's absolutely terrifying. He never says a word. Uh, I think Jennifer Connelly is great in this movie. Uh, just everyone across the board does a fantastic job. But it's a, a a fantastic job in the sense of fitting exactly what the movie needs them to do structurally, rather than being, you know
1: an outstanding Daniel Day-Lewis-type performance where you just take over the movie. Mm-hmm. Something that Rick had brought up yeah. here a minute ago that I really liked is all those different little times where they're like, "Do or you know maybe John would ask, Do, when's the last time you remember it being light out? Yeah. I think, just can't remember. It's such a great yeah. moment. Yeah. I, and
2: I don't know if you had this. I remember when I first watched this movie, you get to that line and you suddenly think, wait a sec, it hasn't been light yeah. for a single scene in this movie so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all those little things where they're they know they should remember but they can't quite right. remember and they and it's not it's not weird that they don't know exactly how to get to Shell Beach even though that's where the person went on their honeymoon or um Yeah. Yeah, all those little things. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Just how it messes with the person. And what you said, Ben, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. Even though Schreiber is an interesting character, how can you really say any of them are my, are my favorite character because none of them are a complete person. Right. They're not fully developed. They're probably not even who we think they are, except for Schriever could possibly be the real self.
2: But even in that case, we know he wiped his own memories.
1: What, what did they take out, though?
2: They, they just basically made, according to him, and that, again, is part of the fascinating thing about this movie, his characters, mm-hmm. but according to him, they made him wipe all of his memories except for his scientific knowledge. Oh,
1: that's interesting. So he's an unreliable narrator, then. Absolutely. Even to himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that flashback scene where he was giving the whole plan to John was one of my favorite things in the movie as well. Yeah, just because it helped shed light on what we—it put the pieces fully together that we had already constructed in our mind. Right.
0: Hmm. Um, uh, I don't, I don't want to take us a different direction if you guys aren't ready to, but I, I'd love to talk about, um, and, and maybe I remember this era better than you guys do, but do. You, how well do you remember 1998? Because I I like to discuss maybe like what was going on in the world that time and why we had so many movies that were kind of about this similar thing. Because there was like The Matrix, there was Men in Black, there was like I said X Files was fairly new at this time, and there was this film. And uh, do you guys remember that that period um, well? I, or you're a little younger yeah, than
1: 1998, me. 1998, so. what a great year! Uh, I opened up the year. <laughs> At the age of fifteen, and I turned sixteen there in nineteen ninety eight. All right, uh, yeah, that okay. was a you know an especially good year for me uh, as being a sixteen year old. Um, yeah, what else do I remember from nineteen ninety eight? High school, of course. Yeah, just getting my license. I remember not being allowed
2: to see Titanic.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, Rick, what kind of. I'm kind of interested. What kind of info do you have? So you, were... Yeah, you
2: might have to carry this section on your own there, Rick. Okay. All so, right.
1: <laughs> well, I, well, let's just talk and well, let's, uh, So I, I turned yeah. 16, 98. Ben? I turned 13. Rick?
0: Uh, Well, let's see. I'm try- I'll am have to think about my age. I graduated high school in 95, so I would have been about middle of my college, middle to almost the end of uh, of my college career, actually, at 20 points Something like uh, that yeah and i and i don't remember yeah something right around there around around 2021 20, um, and i don't remember this movie coming out in the theater it was one of those things that i found like it you guys remember blockbuster videos oh, yeah. to have those back in the yeah it was like one of those blockbuster rentals you know i was like hey it looks pretty good Kiefer sutherland and all them and I think that was how I initially had seen the movie because I, I definitely remember The Matrix because it was like the whole world changed, you know, whenever that <laughs> happened. Um, it, it, at least because I had never seen anything like that, you know, in, in theaters. and um, But it was just interesting to me, and, I, and I'm trying to, to think back, and maybe I'm a little bit like a character in that movie in some of this <laughs> because, you know, one thing about it is they're going back to memories they've had um and sometimes our memories are a little different of those days. Um but I seem to remember like we we were just like lousy with boy bands and things like at that time. You had like all the the in sync and ninety eight degrees and things were really like like poppy on, on some end, if if that makes sense. Like it and it felt like the media was sort of that way, saturated with this like uh, sappiness and there wasn't like any real big wars in the world at least that Americans were aware of at that time and I kind of remember thinking um Somebody had had said something to me when I was in college about oh things are things are looking bad with this other country right now and and uh, it's, the news was saying oh if 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 this happens and this happens they may institute the draft again and I remember kind of being terrified like oh man I don't want to be drafted you know <laughs> for some you know, and I can't even remember exactly what the scenario was because I would have been closer to being a senior I guess at that time. Um, but, but the world really wasn't the scary place that it was. Now, this came out in 98, right? And, right. and then we have, you guys probably remember nine eleven pretty well though, oh, don't yeah, you? Sure. I mean, when that happened just, just a few years later. Um, and at that time the world went from being like, the only thing that was scary to us, we had to kind of make up, you know, like like okay so we've got aliens and we've got movies about the matrix and and something doesn't seem right beneath it all and and i just think culture at that time we were sort of you know we were still at the point that the economy hadn't crashed everybody not everybody but lots of us you know had a lot you know and and it seemed like life was a little more cheery and when that happens i feel like the the general feel in the air was sort of this feeling of like something underneath all this is not feeling right <laughs> you know um the internet was still very new I, like i i had just barely even been on the internet by the time this movie came out i mean we had it at college um but we weren't connected as we were and i can remember thinking you know something in the air just isn't feeling right and i and i feel like the theme of this movie almost captures the time in some ways and then when 911 happens of course I mean, everything did kind of fall apart in a lot of ways, um, but I, I guess just looking back in hindsight and through different memories, there, there's something I remember. I believe it was called the White Martyrdom. Do you guys remember studying that in church history? No, no. Um, Sorry. Well, the, the White. That's okay. Um, if if I'm remembering correctly, like the White Martyrdom was this period in in church history where the church had had stopped being persecuted at least in the part of the world in the time that it was and they'd been um, at a point where uh, you know we were being persecuted for our faith and we're being killed and and whatever the situation was we're being thrown to lions and whatnot well you know things changed a lot with Constantine you know for the Christians and and Christians weren't all of a sudden went to where they weren't being persecuted anymore. And I believe it's called the white martyrdom. You would start seeing sort of as this spiritual act that um, the Christians of the day would like do things to themselves and they go out in the desert and they would make life really hard on themselves so that they could be martyrs because they weren't being martyred anymore. <laughs> and, um, and and it's, it's referred to, I believe, as the white martyrdom. And I feel like we were sort of in that world... Where you know grunge music was real popular and life was pretty good, but all these kids from the suburbs were writing these angsty songs about you know underneath it all everything sucks you know (laughs) and uh, so I don't know maybe I'm just going on about nothing, but it feels like that's the kind of world we were in at that time and and it seems like to me as I look back, it's like um, we knew something wasn't right in the world, but we were too blissfully ignorant to know Um, and then. With the with the advent of things like the internet and starting to understand a little bit more of what was going on around the world when nine eleven hit, um, just various things. The economy crashed as time went on. It just it just felt like things became more weir- real, and um, and I don't know that sci fi was quite as popular anymore. as like you know that it turned into sort of action films and things like that again. But I don't know what what do you guys think. Well, about it's
1: actually it? funny you should say that about sci fi being not as popular because. You inspired me. As you were talking there, I decided to look up the top films of 98. Uh, Here we go. Number 10, Lethal Weapon 4. Number 9, Shakespeare in Love. Number 8, Dr. Doolittle. Number 7, Mulan. Number 6, Deep Impact. Number 5, A Bug's Life, which was the second Pixar movie. That's crazy. Uh, Number 4, There's Something About Mary. Number 3, Godzilla, which in some ways is uh, it, well, I'll, I'll I'll keep going here. Number two, Saving Private Ryan, and number one, Armageddon. Godzilla is obviously sci-fi. Yeah. Armageddon, I guess you could probably say, semi-sci-fi since
0: Armageddon
1: it flew into yeah. a asteroid.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you said it because I think it sort of proves my my point a little bit yeah. about films were kind of making this case that they were like making disasters and tragedies happened because we it didn't seem like we were having any at that time. It seemed like everything was kind of still up on top at least as far as in the American economy and all that went. <laughs> so we went to the theater and I can remember seeing Armageddon in the theater and like, "Whoa, what if a meteor hit the Earth?" And then that same year Deep Impact, which is basically the same movie <laughs> except um, you know, it's not quite as big budget actiony, um the same thing. What if a meteor hits the Earth and then um Godzilla, what a terrible movie that was, but still that was playing on that same thing, like the the end of the world, what if it comes. Um but when we walked out of the theater, like w- we were still pretty shielded from everything, you know. Life wasn't like that for us. Hey, get this. And I guess you could argue. Yeah.
1: Get this. Truman Show, the movie I mentioned earlier, came out in 1998. How about that?
0: Wow. Yeah. So, I definitely felt like there was something in the air at that time that people were It's almost like they they were creating problems to have (laughs) through stories because, you know, I I don't know if there's anything to that or not, but it feels that way. Well, I I think
2: if you look at history, I mean, human beings are, I would say, psychologically evolved or hardwired to uh, recognize that the good times don't last forever. You know, and, uh, and and maybe that won't be the case going forward. Maybe we'll find a way to avoid you know, uh, having countries collapse. But historically, that's not been the case, that you enter into times of peace, uh, even if it's relative peace, as, you know, of course, the Roman Empire is going to war with all sorts of people. But if you're an average Joe Blow in the Roman Empire, you're doing pretty well. Uh, And then the barbarians are eventually at the gates in a very literal sense. And so, yeah, I think that there's, that's part of the human experience. And you look at the 20th century, you know, we, go through that with world war ii and hitler and and the cold war is over uh in the late 80s and we enter into the 90s and okay for the first time in almost a century we don't have a world war either ramping up or wrapping up uh or ongoing we don't have the cold war going on and i think that creates somewhat of a schizophrenia in the historic personality of uh, yeah, this is really nice, but yet there's also a sense of that we know historically, even if we don't know our history, implicitly as human beings, we understand this does not last forever.
1: Right. Here's a, yeah, here's true. a movie I loved, Pleasantville, 1998.
0: Yeah. oh that was like postmodernism on film. Yeah, I remember so,
2: that one. Rick, you mentioned white martyrs. Did you know there's actually a whole bunch of different colors? Um, So I looked this up. Red martyrs, somebody who is tortured or dies for the faith. White martyrs, somebody who voluntarily takes on an extreme asceticism. Uh, Blue or green martyrdom is when you go through self denial uh, as part of a spiritual discipline. Probably like more extreme self-denial. So those are your three colors. But then in addition, there is wet martyrs. Wet martyrs are people who have literally shed blood through suffering for the faith and dry martyrs are those who have not been physically tormented or shed blood but have suffered indignity and cruelty cruelty on the part of the faith so we've got a whole bunch of categories of <laughs> martyrs out there
0: wow see and i didn't realize i don't remember all those from my church history class but i'm sure we talked about them at some well point. it sounds like a that's very interesting quiz.
2: what what color martyr are you you know yeah, oh, <laughs> right.
1: and how could we forget? <laughs> how could we forget the X Files, Fight the Future, nineteen ninety eight? All right, do they yeah. keep going? No, you've got mail. So that's a great Tom Hanks movie, yeah. nineteen
2: ninety eight. Yeah, Matt, we've talked about what we liked about the movie, but you were very average on Dark City. What did you not like besides a little surprise nudity?
1: Yeah,
2: which you know that stuff always gets you. Uh,
1: what did I not like?
2: Uh or is it just a general you know sense?
1: What? I think that talking this through actually helps shed light on it. A lot of times you do attach to a character and that helps you get through the movie. So even though I thought the concept was strong and interesting, uh yeah, there wasn't necessarily a character who I like I wasn't necessarily on board with the protagonist. Right. Like I didn't necessarily love this guy, I just thought okay, he's my eyes into this world. Um Yeah, so I just kinda felt like, Yeah, this is pretty good. I don't know. Maybe you hyped it up to me too much cuz you said this is one of my favorite movies. It is. So, yeah. But based on the fact that
2: we tend to like different types of movies, you should have like
1: I, I should have oh, no, it's going suck. I do say that now. I should have I should have known. So, I don't know. How about you, Rick? What, what were your what were your thoughts then and your thoughts now from 2 weeks ago?
2: Didn't we just spend the last um, hour
1: discussing that? You know I mean, no, like <laughs> Did it hold up is what I'm trying to ask. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I think yes and no for me. Part of it was I I don't remember the voiceover at all that that was on there. So I must have seen, like, um, the director's cut the first time. I got it from our library, and they didn't have it at our library anymore. I guess somebody had stolen it or it went out of circulation when I went back to it this time so um the, i had to watch it on the the hbo now app and I, I think that was the one with the voiceover, if i'm not mistaken um and i don't even have that app anymore cuz it was a free trial but uh, i i remember uh the surprise the first time though and um and uh, just like really being like whoa they're on a spaceship <laughs> and this time i remembered a lot of that stuff and it wasn't it wasn't quite as special this time however um Although the surprise wasn't there, I, I was able to pick up on some things this time that I wasn't looking for the first time, and I think that helped. So for I I would say it was it was equally as as rewarding, but it was in different ways this time um, from what I remembered the first time, if that makes any sense at all. But it, it was. Um, I think I would I would say it was slightly better that first time because I just didn't know what was coming and and this is sort of one of those movies that if you know what's coming it's not it's not quite got the same magic when you go back to it again but there is a whole lot to dissect and a whole lot to discuss. I mean I I feel like I could really see um like I know you guys have talked about um played uh, the uh, the cave, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I felt like this was sort of a movie to talk about that, you know, and the idea of uh, there's one person that's free and, you know, everybody else is still chained up and stared at the wall. And uh, and so I, I think even that that allegory is uh, is a neat thing that, you know, maybe this movie is a good way to kind of talk about that.
1: Uh, so. We actually gloss over something that Ben said earlier, which is that Roger Ebert famous film critic, took the time to do the commentary on this movie. So that does something well, not positive. Not only
2: that, but he, he rated it his favorite or the best movie of 1998 and one of the best movies of the 90s. Okay.
1: And yeah. he was he was yeah. featured prominently in a lot of the uh, documentaries about the film that are on the DVD. So yep. we didn't talk about the creative team, but the screenwriters for this were the director and creator, Alex Proyas, yep. uh, along with Lem Dobbs and David Goyer working yeah. on this. Uh, if you're wondering what else has this director done, other notable works include The Crow. Well, that was his first one. Yep. Yeah, uh... Blade.
2: No. Two, three. No, I don't no. think so.
1: Okay. No, we got. I've got The Crow, I Robot, with Knowing Will, with Will Smith, uh, Knowing with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Coming up next year, he's going to be doing a movie called Gods of Egypt, and this is a film that portrays a conflict between the gods Set and Horus as they battle for control of the Nile River Valley. Hmm. Gerald, but- Gerald, no, Gerard? What was this? Gerald Butler?
2: Yeah, Gerald Butler. <laughs> Gerard,
1: Gerard, yeah. Gerard I was Butler. like, I'm saying this wrong. Yeah. yeah, Gerard Butler, he's starring in that one.
2: Just call him yeah. Harold. Uh,
1: you know, I think... Oh, I... and Jamie Lannister. Oh, yeah. He's starring in it. Nicholas
2: Caldosta. Caldosta Waldo? Yeah, that one. Uh, Alex Perez, I I liked knowing a lot more than other people do. I just got a lot of obnoxious Nicolas Cage stuff in, but I actually think that's an interesting movie. Uh, The Crow I didn't care for, and I think iRobot is awful. Uh, So I'm still waiting for him to make that next great follow-up to Dark City. Probably should stop holding my breath.
1: You don't think Gods of Egypt will make it?
0: Maybe. I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I don't think I picked up on it the first time. Um, but the, I think it's Mr. Is it Mr. Hand? He's the, the main villain.
2: Mr. Uh, Hand is, is the, the one who Book? injects, uh, John's memories into himself. Mr. Book is the older, uh, guy who John fights at the very end.
0: Okay. Well, um, the, the older guy at the end, um, he was in the original television series yes. of House of Cards. And then the other one is the one, the man that wrote and had a story a like co-starring role in the Rocky horror picture show. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of this, like the, the cast is like kind of strange when you think about all of them that came together for this film, because the really the main bad guy that injected himself, he's the one that was in the Rocky horror picture show and really, you know, wrote this musical about just all kinds of, of strange things that, that became this other cult classic for a whole other set of reasons um then you know the the house of cards connection which i was like man all these all these people are so famous for so many different projects that don't have anything to do with one another but it was just interesting casting all around I thought. yeah
2: so. all right well you pointed at me are I was we ready let... for
1: final thoughts i was gonna let you take the the final thoughts i mean, I mean you're, you're the big lover of this i've been
2: watching this movie like I said since 2002 um I, I just love it. I, I I hear what you're saying, Rick. That it doesn't quite have the same punch the second time when you already know the secret. But man, uh, I I love well structured stories. And so just watching this thing unfold, it it I'm just in awe that every time I sit down with it, it's um, yeah. it it is a perfectly structured movie, uh, brilliant from start to finish. So I love this movie, and will continue to love this movie.
1: A plus for creativity. I don't know what it is that was holding me back, but I <sighs> thought it was so-so. Rick,
0: um, I I really really enjoyed it both times. I think it's it's going to be definitely one of my favorite original um, sci-fi films because I, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think there's been any sort of sequel to this, like in books or. Um, I don't think there's any like pre-story to this. I, I've heard some people say that it's it's um, based a little bit on the old silent film Metropolis, which I have seen some of that, and I can definitely tell the influence there. Um, but but this really, I, I would I would give this high marks from the standpoint of just a, a really original way to tell a story. I just don't think we see that many original stories like this, especially in the sci-fi genre, and. Um, and Yeah, so I, I still – I give it a very high recommend, and it, it's a great one to watch with people that haven't seen it before too because I – um I don't know if you're like me, but I – like my wife, if she's never seen a, a film like this, and I, I kind of want to see her reaction. It's kind of fun to watch other people's reactions when – um surprises come so if it's it's sort of one of those movies for me too like it's it's good to share in it and even like tonight I think it's a good one if you want to have an actual like real conversation um there's certain movies that as you think about them more and as you let them kind of um as you sleep on it for a while and you kind of wake up and think about the film again, I think there's more to it. And I think this is definitely one of those films. And for me, that's a mark of a really good film um, that it actually places ideas that kind of grow in your head and you kind of want to go back and think about them again. and, and, uh, and so, yeah, for me, that, that makes this a great movie.
1: I agree. All right. I think that brings us to an end. Yeah. Ben, thanks for the recommendation. I was glad to finally experience yeah, this.
2: Well, well done.
1: And Rick, thank you. I guess at this point we've we've moved out of your part of on your show, so now we're ending the thought by Christian. <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah, right. this got weird. Yeah. Uh, but Rick, thanks for joining us here tonight.
0: It's my pleasure. Yeah. and um, I guess if people want to find oh, me... Yeah. I oh, oh wait they for post-credit.
1: Post-credit, because then the music won't be bothering okay.
0: you. All right. <laughs>
1: they haven't left yet. They always stick around.
0: Oh, They're always there.
2: Yeah, so Rick, said, Rick, Rick where everybody... can we find you?
0: Um, you can find me at rickleyjames.com. Um, you'll find several links there. Uh, my podcast is Voices in My Head, and uh, I've had these guys both on my podcast in the in the past, and I always love it. Uh, tonight was a, was a great time with you guys. And, um, I just appreciate your show so much. First of all, let me say that before I get into the rest of where they can find me, but it's, it's always a great show. I, I, you guys keep me company, uh, every week, whether I'm working out or driving in my car or whatever. (laughs) So, uh, really appreciate the Sci-Fi Christian and all that you guys do. And sometimes I want to just interact with you and I realize you can't hear me, but, um, it's it's a great show but anyway getting back to my podcast i have different guests on um we do everything from uh books at times to musical artists will come on the show songwriters singers pastors on occasion um other podcast hosts will come on um and voices in my head is the name of that one and and be watching it at rickleyjames.com uh, or you can follow me on twitter at rickley james um just finishing up a new record um and god's just been all uh, doing really unbelievable things for me, and I, I can't even tell you everything right now because not everything um, uh, from the the publisher, I'm, I'm not allowed to say everything yet that I know of what's coming uh, for this new record, but um, some of these songs have uh, some really exciting things have been happening with some songs from my new record uh, that's going to be releasing hopefully in the very near future um, I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago uh, finishing the vocals uh, for most of the songs and we'll just see what's coming out but follow me at rickleyjames.com
1: Awesome Rick, hey thank you very much it's fun to have you on as usual and uh, thanks for the nice things you were saying earlier about our show so yeah
0: yeah, I I mean it sincerely. You guys have a great show. You're you're both you're both awesome guys, and and uh, it, this is one of the best best podcasts out there. Seriously. Thank,
1: well, you. thank you. Thank you. Uh Now I know you hung out with Ben in Chicago last year. Next year, uh, the yes. three of us, Chicago, the C two E two, is it happening? Let's make it happen, Cap'n.
2: If we can, that I'm would in be this great.
1: time. I know yeah. I bailed last time, but I'm in this oh, that's time. That's what
2: you said at this time two years ago. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know can yeah, we trust him rick i, I tried to get you there
1: him. for 2015 2016 it's happening
0: <laughs> all right yeah we we will we'll see if we can do that i'd love to all
1: right all right hey uh, uh we're gonna get out of here then so one of us will have to share a bed though
2: because there's only two beds in that room
1: well that's up <laughs> here well, we... okay <laughs> all right let's all say our names or one. we could just
2: get one big king bed for the three of us
1: I'm Matt i met edison
0: what
2: Our bed photo
0: And I'm Rick Lee We are the Sci-Fi
1: Christians signing off. Uh You've been listening to Voices
0: in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback,